Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. I'm your host, Jess Root, from CardsWire.com, the USA Today NFL Wire site, and, and we have done it. We have reached the end of the opponent preview series. It is show 14 in 14 days, um, and we wrap up the series with the Cardinals' final NFC East opponent, the Philadelphia, whom the Cardinals face on the road, week 17, New Year's Eve. Uh, the defending NFC champion, Philadelphia that Eagles, that is. And to help us preview that, that opponent, um, not for the first time. He, he, he's back on the show again for at least the second time. Is Eagles Wire uh, managing editor Glenn Irby, a, a frequent flyer to the program, as, as it feels like the Cardinals and the Eagles seem to play often. Glenn, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. How you been? Great, Jess. Appreciate you having me on. Hope everything is going great. It is. It is. You know, things things out in Philly, a place where people are, you know, fans are perpetually unhappy. They've got to be pretty happy overall, aside from the sadness of seeing Patrick Mahomes come back and beat another team that they thought had the <laughs> had the Chiefs beat. Um, so congrats on a fabulous season, even though we had the disappointment on the end. Let's talk about that year first. Um, okay. Did the Eagles, so what were the Eagles expectations entering last season? Were their expectations to do what they did last year? I think they were a year ahead. I mean, I think if you ask Sirianni, if you ask some of the players that is the expectation for me I thought you know you wanted to, to improve on the nine and eight record you want to win at least 10 11 games win a playoff game get Jalen Hurts a playoff win so I think from that standpoint they improved and then when you have the fast start you have the, the three total losses in the regular season and then get into the Super Bowl you know I think they jumped a year a year ahead which is good so I think that the window that we actually thought was starting is starting now. So they got to a Super Bowl a year prior. So, you know, the confidence is good. Continuity is high. Everything is great at the Novacare complex. Absolutely. Um, how how would you rate, like, I believe last year when we ended last year, when we were doing this show a year ago, we talked about Jalen Hurts. How was Jalen Hurts compared to your expectations in, in 2020? Oh, he, he continues to just shatter them. I think, you know, like we just talked about, you you wanted to see him come back 
improve on his decision making, improve his accuracy, all those things. I think in terms of everything he did, his performance in the Super Bowl, MVP runner up. I mean, I mean, it, it's just it's a great thing. It gives the, the 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 franchise continuity. I think for the next seven to ten years, they'll have really excellent quarterback play. So from that standpoint, you know, they're set up to continue to to be well. Does he need? Do you think he still needs? Like, I'm not going to say he necessarily has but they've been they've they've built an incredible running game to kind of help him out they added jj brown but does he need does he continue to need that strong a running game does he need to be quote unquote protected like that or is he ready to cut loose and be on the same par as the gunslingers out there in the nfl I think a little bit of both. I think from the accuracy standpoint, the arm strength, uh, the maturity, the 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 30-something plus games he's played now, he's ready to be on their level. I think it doesn't help to have the, the NFL's best offensive line. I think it doesn't hurt you to have a group that, you know, because that line is so good, you can do a committee by approach situation with the running back crew, which which allows him to do more. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think he's going to take that next step. I think he'll join that elite class, but I think having the NFL's top offensive line and those guys, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey, guys like that, I think it, it, it allows him to be elite and a more complete player. What do the Eagles lose? Well, let's talk that before the, the loss impact. Okay. What were what were the feelings about on your end and and Eagles fans in general about Jonathan Gannon as a defensive coordinator as he's now the Cardinals head coach and Nick Rollis as a position coach? I know position coaches it's hard to get a read on what the kind of what the vibe is what the feeling is about position coaches because they, they don't talk to media pr- practically at all. So we don't really know much about them. But in terms of what the view coming off of last season, what was the general opinion about Jonathan Gannon as a coordinator and then Nick Rollis, whatever might have been the the kind of the kind of the vibe about him. I think in terms of Gannon, I think if you know the sport and not even necessarily knowing the sport, but if you know what you're watching, if you know the type of defense they're played, you know, he's going to be a big loss. I don't know if it'd be the biggest loss. I think Rollis could be potentially a bigger loss just in terms of, you know, youth potential. You know, he's a fast, he's a, a rising star in the NFL world. Who knows if he couldn't have been the defensive coordinator. So I think from the standpoint of, the uh, Gannon being a Vic Fangio disciple, the replacement being a Vic Fangio disciple, I think things will stay the same. So from that standpoint, you have some continuity, but I think, you know, he's really diligent. He's a really uh, efficient coach. Uh, he put him in a really good position. I think you take away the Super Bowl loss and the inability to adjust to the Chiefs and the motion and the different things that were do- he did a really good job. Do you, how much of what how much of what happened at the in the second half of that Super Bowl? do you place on Gannon um, or, and how much do you just credit credit uh, Mahomes and the chiefs because they did it to San Francisco. They did it to Cincinnati in that they did it to San Francisco. The before they did it in, in the super bowl, they did it to Cincinnati in the championship game. Like at what point, like I know, I know the media has been killing Gannon. Like when Gannon went to talk at, at the combine, it was a bunch of angry Eagles reporters right. and that's what he had to talk about. How much, how much do you, how much do you put blame? Do you put on Gannon for what happened? I think he gets it all now because of the tampering situation and the way he got the job. So, I mean, you know, it, it's on the players. I think everyone has to be prepared. Okay. They run the motion in the first half. 
we'll figure it out in the second half. For them to do it again and do it multiple times in the second half, and I think both times they led to touchdowns, there's no adjustment, there's no communication. So I think, you know, you already have a frustrated fan base. You already have frustrated players. Then when you learn about the tampering, the conversations during Super Bowl preparation, uh, it makes it worse. I'm not sure, you know, if you if you look at it from a broad spectrum, a couple of phone calls shouldn't have necessarily taken away from the preparation, but that's the way it looks. Yeah, yeah, then then, then it does the tampering thing. Are Eagles fans kind of are they upset about that? Because the truth is, I hadn't heard any about it until right. right before the draft when they when the when the trade went down for the settle. It been and after the fact, and I mean, Amani Osseport didn't didn't talk much about it, but Gannon talked about it. He said, yeah, you know, after the NFC Championship game, um, Monty called him, just had a conversation it was one phone call the day after the the soup after the championship game i personally have a hard time thinking that that factored in at all but okay i mean especially especially what we know about gannon right it's not like like most coordinators have a plan already in place for a head coaching interview um and the truth is gannon and austin fort had already connected a year before and, and Gannon impressed him, but that's beside the point. That's it's interesting. I, but I am interested in that in that other perspective. Now, let's go. So coming up next on the Rise Up Sierra podcast, the best our Cardinals talk about. Let's talk about the off season. Um, okay. There's been some big, big changes um, and big returns. That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Red podcast, best of our Cardinals talk on the web. We moved to the off season, which started with free agency. Well, actually, it started with coaching losses. We talked a little bit about that. Jonathan Gannon out the door. Uh, Nick Rollis. And, and there are some here who think that perhaps the Eagles are probably a little more disappointed in losing Rollis than, than Gannon because you know that your coordinator is going to end up leaving if, if you have a good team. But then to lose the potential replacement for him, um, I'm, I'm actually very intrigued because what is primarily a four-man front in Philly. Now, obviously, they, they switched it up a lot. Yeah. They remain here on paper a three, four front, which I'm very like, I thought we were going to see a defense very similar, similarly schemed to what Philly did. And at least on how they build the roster with positions and they haven't changed the thing here, which has, has us. Okay. What's it going to look like now? Right. You have new defensive coordinator. What's the new coaching staff look like and what is kind of the outlook there? I think on the offensive side of the ball, you have Brian Johnson replacing Shane Tyson. I think um, continuity there has known Jalen Hurts since he was a young kid. So I think from that familiarity, things would be okay. I think it's it's Sirianni's offense. So it'll be on Brian Johnson to bring some innovation to the offense, you know, something play calling. I think you'll see them take more chances, do more things that Hurts wants to do in terms of what we talked about in terms of the maturation. I think on defense, You'll see Desai be a little more aggressive. I don't necessarily think it'd be from a blitzing standpoint, but I think you 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 may see one or two less linebackers. You know, I think they're stacked up front, like you said, in terms of the three four. I think you'll see a five man front at times. I think you'll see a four man front, but I think for him the goal would be to have four or five guys up front, one linebacker at times, and five or six defensive backs. Okay. So I think that's that's the switch you'll see in terms of you know guys being interchangeable, having versatility, and, and playing with a light box. You, you you suffered several key losses in free agency. Uh, TJ, like that linebacking core is completely different. TJ ever TJ Edwards to the Bears. Kaiser White comes to Arizona, uh, where he projects to be TJ Edwards uh, <laughs> is what it looks like in that role. Uh, Javon Hargrave leaves to the 49ers. 
but you do bring back um you you do bring back Darius Slay, you do bring back Jason Kelsey. Uh you lose Isaac Samalo, you lose sure. CJ Garner Johnson. Um how impactful are those losses? They're big, but I think in terms of when you start looking at uh you looking at the big picture, you start looking at compensatory draft picks, you start looking at, you know, additional assets, you know, you start looking at the fact that for a lot of those guys the replacement or the person that was going to take their position was already awaiting, you know, was already here. I, I think it's, you know, it's a little lighter. You know, I think, you know, when you're able to reload, you get into Kobe Dean and then you get some of the, uh, you get a Nicholas Morrow, you get the draft picks, you get, you get the two Georgia guys and things like that, that nature. It, it makes it okay. So it'll be an adjustment. I think getting Slay and Bradbury back was huge. You know, you, you get Terrell Edmonds at safety, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, from a discipline standpoint, he was probably a much better player than Gardner Johnson. Maybe not the splash, maybe not the interceptions, but in terms of how he plays with the discipline he plays, I think it could be an upgrade there. So you, you have some losses, but I think for the most part, depending on how Carter plays and how Jordan Davis plays, the hard growth loss may not even be, could be a minimal situation. What are who were the impact gains in free agency? You you mentioned Tremaine Edmonds. Who else were impact additions? Well, I think you know Rashad Penny is definitely an impact position if he can stay healthy. You got DeAndre Swift from in via trade, not necessarily free agency. So I think from that standpoint, you're stacked on offense. Like I said, on defense, you have Greedy Williams. So you have the potential for a third guy, you know, a guy that has a, a pedigree coming out of LSU. If he can stay healthy, you have a third cornerback there. You have Justin Ev- Evans at safety as well, you know, was healthy for the Saints last year. Contavious Street is a guy that can play defensive tackle, edge. So you have versatility, you have hybrids, you have, you have a lot of things, diff- different things going on from that standpoint on defense. And then in the draft, um, obviously, <laughs> there was the joke about how you only draft Georgia guys Well, for, with right. the addition of Jordan, Jordan Davis last year. And then you get Jalen Carter. Um, were you surprised that Carter was there at number nine? For sure. I wasn't sure if they'd have to trade up. I mean, you, you hear things and you hear people talking. I wasn't sure he would get past the Bears. So from that standpoint, you wanted him. You knew if he continued to drop, we'd have a shot. But I wasn't sure Chicago would let him go. How high are you on him as an as a, a disruptor in the passing game when he didn't have necessarily the metrics? That that's when we were leading up the draft. That was the kind of the one thing Jalen Carter is like. Do like especially in the top five. Do you take a defensive tackle who has little to no pass pass right? Like he's not Indomitian Sue. He's not Aaron Donald. Um, does he do? Can he or 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 is he going to develop into something like a Quinn and Williams, or will that take a couple of years? I think he'll develop rather quickly. I think you have the situation where you necessarily don't need him to be a pass rusher. I mean, Jordan Davis potentially could be a better pass rusher than him because of his explosiveness. So I think for, for those two, you want them to feed off of each other. You want them to complement each other. You still have Fletcher Cox. You still, like we said, you have Contavious Street. You have Milton Williams. You have a rotation of guys that are able to rush the passer, and that'll be on Sean Desai to figure out when to implement those guys and when to rotate them. But I think, you know, in terms of the Georgia guys, I think they'll be impactful from day one. Nolan Smith, also in the first round, number 30, athletic freak. Where does he fit? Um, he He's built more like uh, off the ball, but has the speed. Like He reminds me in some ways of Hassan Reddick, but kind of the opposite because uh, he, like, he was – 
he had the pass rushing production and was built more for off the ball. Smith played, I guess, I think he played a little more off the ball, but at sizes, you, you see Hassan Reddick and do you do that? But is he going to be able to do Reddick type things? I think so. I think though you would hope that he could turn into a weak side or off the ball version of a Fred Warner. So you don't necessarily want to put him in the middle. I mean, maybe, you know, in year two or three, you could start to do that in terms of schemes where he's on the on the field with Reddick. But I think you want to be able to get him on the field with Reddick at times. So in terms of using him as a traditional edge rusher, you know, re- replacing, you know, Brandon Graham with him. So I think you'll have situations where you use him as an edge rusher. I think you'll see situations where they drop him into coverage because he's so athletic. I think you'll have situations where him and Reddick will both be in the games and you'll have two Sam linebackers coming off the edge. So I think you it allows versatility. It allows a lot of dynamic hybrid situations going on. The rest and he's of the- a great run stopper as well. I'm sorry. So from that no, standpoint, no, okay. you, def- you definitely want to put him in the game because he's really efficient against the run. He's one of the highest graded run stoppers in college football last year. From So from that standpoint, he continues to add value. Offensive lineman. So tackle Tyler Steen from Alabama, safe, safety, Sidney Brown out of Illinois, Kaylee Ringo, cornerback out of Georgia, Stanford cornerback, quarterback Tanner McKee, um, in in my opinion, that was probably the wasted pick of the draft. I don't I don't think much of McKee. And then uh, I thought Moro Joma was going to go much higher in the draft, and you get him in round seven. What do you think of those selections, and where do they fit in now and in the future? I, I like them all. I think a lot of them are are similar to last year. So you have a situation with Tyler Stain where he might be able to come in and start at right guard. You have Cam Jurgens, the descended second round pick from last year, who's expected to slide the right guard. So you have a lot of versatility there. If for some reason something happens to Jordan Mailata, Tyler Steen just came out of this situation where he could play left tackle. You have so you have a lot of guys that can do different things. I think in terms of Sidney Brown, he's the player to watch. You know, I've talked about, you know, decide maybe using him as a star, you know, potentially using him like Jalen Ramsey. But I think it'll be a situation where you'll see him playing in the box. I think it, it allows for three safeties. I think you'll, you can see a situation where you see him, Edmonds and Reed Blankenship on the field at the same time. So I think that's a great pick. Keely Ringo, you would hope that it's just a red shirt season and he gets to learn from Bradbury and Slay. But if he comes in and shows that he can become a third or fourth cornerback, there's been some talk of him potentially playing safety, then that. That's a that's a, a benefit there. I think in terms of a Joe Mo, that's a guy you want to see. Uh, I look at him as a, a younger Kentavious Street in terms of his ability to play defensive tackle and slide down to the edge. Some. So I think even though he was drafted in the seventh round, he's a player to watch as well. Absolutely. Coming to next on the Rise Up Seward podcast, Mr. Cardo's talk on Let's look ahead to the 2023 season where equals have high expectations. Let's talk about that. Coming to next on Rise Up Seward. We're back on the Rise of Seward podcast, the best of Cardinals talk on the web. Uh, the Eagles enter 2023 as one of the favorites in the NFC uh, and one of the favorites in the NFL. Um, one of the elite teams, Jalen Hurts playing at a high level, brand new, you know, gazillion dollar contract. Um, the returning key veterans, they're, they're cornerbacks. You've got Fletcher Cox coming back for another year, uh, a guy that I thought might maybe follow Gannon to, to Arizona, but they chose not to go with old guys at all there. Um, Jason Kelsey comes back. You, you've got Georgia athletes all over the field. You've got a running back situation again that looks incredibly strong with Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift. Um, um, what was it? Didn't um, Boston come back as well? Correct. Boston so Scott's back as well. Boston Scott returns. And so you've got a backfield that is loaded. 
and a quarterback who is incredible on the quarterback sneak, uh, adding to that factor there, which if there's one thing, like I'll say one thing about like how the Cardinals use Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is not a big fan of the court, court, quarterback sneak, obvious for obvious reason. One, they almost play always in, 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 in shotgun before that'll change this year. And he doesn't have the frame. He's just not quite as big as Jalen Hurts. That said, the way they built that offense around him, I wish, I wish, I would have loved to see Kyler running a type of situation. But that said, we're talking about the Eagles 2023. How high are expectations and what will, will fans be, will fans be satisfied with anything other than another Super Bowl or, or potentially championship? I mean, it's, it's the Eagles fan base. So I think from that standpoint, you're going to have some that's going to start the season out a little bit pessimistic anyway. It's, it's 50-50. You'll have your pessimists. You'll have your optimists. I think it's the toughest schedule in the league, if not one of those. So, you know, the expectation is they may not go 14-3. and three. You don't want to see a 10-7 and seven season, though. So I think from that standpoint, you don't want them to fall off a cliff. I don't think there'll be a – I think there's too much leadership, uh, Jalen Hurts, different things like that for there to be a Super Bowl hangover. But you certainly don't want them to, you know, take two or three steps back. So I think from that standpoint, that first game against the, against the Patriots would be important. And then, you know, winning the games you're supposed to, you have a rough stretch, you know, you, you have the Cowboys in week nine, then there's a bye, and then there's like a six or seven week stretch of just impossible games that, you know, that include the Bills, Chiefs, you know, and, and different things like that. So I think it's surviving that rough stretch and, and, and staying healthy for the most part at, at some of the most key positions. So ceiling is obviously return to the Super Bowl potential championship. Correct. Reasonable expectations, what would they be? For me, uh, the expectation is to get back to the playoffs, definitely win the division. You don't want a first-round exit. You're hopeful of getting the bye. But just to, to keep that consistency, get back to the postseason. Of course, you know, you to improve on last year, you'd have to win the Super Bowl. But definitely just getting back to the playoffs, staying consistent, no drop-offs at key areas and things like that. What do you think their floor uh, – uh, eliminating like not like Jalen Hurts getting hurt because we saw what what that can we see what had happens to any any team when their starting star quarterback gets hurt um if it's if it's a reasonably healthy season what does the worst case scenario look like for the Eagles I think 12 and 5 11 and 6 and that's so, just like not the that's just not getting all the bounces and, and things not going your way but straight up talent you know game by game everyone stays reasonably healthy 12 and 5 is the worst we'll see so that that is that is quite the quite the season of expectations when their when their floor is double digit wins, um, and a first round exit. That would probably be the worst case scenario. With the right. aside aside from disastrous injuries, you're losing key stars at, at different positions. But and, and then obviously, Eagles fans, I'm I'm guessing look at that Week 17 game against the Cardinals as sort of just a speck on the schedule, basically a a get well game before the before the the regular season finale um depends on who you speak to you get some fans <laughs> that really that really want to win that game by like 40 and they could care less <laughs> about getting ready for the playoffs but with everything that with Gannon and him taking Rollis with them and I, I think Sirianni felt some type of way about that and then the way he left so uh, there'll there'll be some build up for it. Now you're hopeful that Kyler Murray is healthy enough to play, and and that that the Cardinals are are in a good enough position to where the game will count. But I think regardless, you're going to see starters play that game, and, and certain people are going to play with an emotion and an intensity and 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 a want to like really run the score. Up. 
guys, Glenn Irby from Eagles War, managing editor over there, now a frequent flyer of the of the opponent preview shows as the Cardinals, the Cardinals play the Eagles again, although they are in very different situations. We got the connection with Jonathan Gannon, um, Nick, um, Nick Rollis, Kaiser White, and then the Eagles, of course, have Hassan Reddick. Uh, all that fun stuff. Glenn, thank you so much for your time. We'll wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Seaweed Podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the web. Glenn, how can a Cardinals fans, if they want to get to know a little bit more about you and how to follow you, obviously they can go to eagleswire.com. Anything social media-wise that they can contact you on? Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Cover 2 NFL. You can find me on YouTube at the Cover 2 NFL, you know, talking Eagles with the Cover 2, uh, Facebook as well, Eagles News Daily, different things like that. So I'll be around. All right, man. And that wraps up this edition of the Rise Up Secret Podcast, the best star of Cardinals talk on the web. This, again, this is the final edition of the opponent preview series, and we will be back soon in just a couple of days with our training camp preview back with Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. This is the Rise Up Secret Podcast. Thanks for listening as always. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.